Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And that makes this Stuff You Should Know the continued political edition. Because we did presidential pardons. So we're all political now. Well, this is the time of the year, you know. Yeah. It's beginning to look a lot like uh, political season. I'm going today to cast my ballot for Georgia to start letting everybody buy booze on Sundays. I am too. I appreciate you doing that. No, I'm voting against it. (laughs) A lot of people uh, on the AJC, they had, you know, the opinion, like, what do you think? And the people that were against it were all just like... Well, you got six days a week. Like, why change it? Why bother? You know, it's just the one day. Is it really that big of a pain? And it's like, what is lost on these people is that this is the United States of America. Yeah. It's about freedom. It's not about buying booze on Sunday. Yeah. It's about somebody else telling you not to when this is 2011. Yes. Um, Nice, Chuck. Yeah. Well, um, let's stop talking politics and instead let's talk animals. Let's talk biology. You know much about donkeys? Uh, nah. Okay. Not really. Well, donkeys are a member of the horse family, but they're a different okay. species from horse. Now, donkeys and mules are not the same, correct? Uh, allow me to Are continue. we getting there? Uh, because they're different species, it makes it really weird that they can not only mate, but procreate. But donkeys and horses do get it on. Okay. And what they produce are mules. Ah. So um, a mule is actually the offspring of a male donkey, mm-hmm. a jack, and a female horse, a uh, mare. How did I not know that in 40 years? A hinny is a is the uh, offspring of a female donkey, a jenny, and a male horse, a stallion. So a, a mule or a, a um, hinny can be boy or girl. It depends on what their parents were. So this is actually the second podcast where we've started with uh, equestrian yeah. definitions. Yes. Interesting. And I also want to give a little shout-out to the donkey. Apparently, the, a donkey, uh, they're very well known for stubbornness, of course. Sure. But um, apparently, it is a misinterpretation, as I understand it, of their incredibly well-defined sense of self-preservation. They are not very easily frightened or um, forced into doing something they think is gotcha. not in their own best interest, which comes off to us as a stubborn jackass donkey mule who won't go down the trail when they're like the gold. No, no, I could fall off that that trail. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So I think humans should start listening to their donkeys, and to make sure that people don't accuse us of um, donkey bias. Yes, I want to talk also about elephants too. Because if you talk donkeys, you have to talk elephants and eventually electric eels, which we'll get to later. Is that the tea party? No. No? No. I thought they might have had their own I don't. I don't think so. I don't think it's electric eels. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. They do have that carved up snake. Oh, really? Yeah, the don't tread on me snake that was carved up into the 13 colonies. Uh. But that's definitely not an electric eel. Okay. Uh, elephants are, are a, a horse of a completely different color. A few couple facts of them. They are, their societies are structured by female. They, the, if you see a group of elephants walking around, they're all female. 
Okay. They live in the same family their whole lives. That's nice. The uh, elephant pack is led by a female. Mm-hmm. It's matriarchal. And males spend their whole lives like just basically doing their own thing, hanging out, and then coming around to mate every once in a while. And these lives can, can, live, can go for up to 82 years. Wow. And elephants are pretty amazing animals. They are very well known to mourn, scientifically proven to mourn their dead. Uh, the first study that established that was in 2005 that found that elephants will return to where their loved ones have fallen and visit their um, bones and skulls and tusks and, wow. and stroke them and just kind of meditate over them for a while. That's a very sad. Right. So you have donkeys, you have elephants, you have American politics. <laughs> that, I think, is as interesting as the story of how they became symbols of politics. I would say it's more interesting. All right. It depends on your <laughs> your leanings. This one was written by Sam Abramson. You remember him? Oh, yeah. How little, can he forget Sam? Sam Abramson. He was a good guy. <laughs> I wonder where he is. I have no idea. I doubt if he listens. I do, too. Uh, so, Thomas Nast, if you're going to start the, the discussion on how the donkey and the elephant became symbols of our two political parties, mm-hmm. there's only one place to start and end, and that is a German... Oddly enough, a German-born uh, political satirist and illustrator, cartoonist. That's the way to put it. Woodblock cutter. <laughs> yeah, really. Named uh, Thomas Nast, who was born in Germany, came over to New York City when he was six, and uh, was a, a natural. He was a shoe-in right off the bat with this artwork stuff. Right. Yeah, he was pretty good. You can tell. And you've, if you haven't heard of him, you've still seen his stuff. Somewhere out there, you've seen a Thomas Nast illustration. Anytime you think of 19th century um, political cartoons, Mm -hmm. what you're envisioning is a Thomas Nast illustration. Or Uncle Sam? It it depends. The one I always think of is um, Flag. Oh, Thomas Flag? I can't remember his name. Anyway, he he was the one who painted the I Want You Uncle Sam. Yeah. But Nast is the one who popularized the first images of Uncle Sam. Is that right? Well, Uncle Sam was around him. He was, he was the one who first put him in like a star-spangled suit and made him tall and gaunt, modeled after Abraham Lincoln. Gotcha. But Uncle Sam was, if I may. Please. Uh, he was possibly named after a guy named Samuel Wilson. No, not Abramson. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, who, uh, was a meatpacker from Troy, New York, uh, in the early 19th century. And who was, uh, who got a great reputation as being very honest. Mm-hmm. And so he got a government contract to send meat provisions to the troops, uh, during the War of 1812. And these crates would come arrive stamped U.S. And the troops came to, uh, mention that this was Uncle Sam or Uncle Sam Wilson, gotcha. who came to be a symbol for the United States as a whole. And they were providing, Uncle Sam was providing food for the soldiers in their minds. Yes. That's nice. Nothing but horse meat. And Santa Claus, the modern Santa Claus as we know him, was sort of captured by a nast as well. Is that right? Yeah. You got a story there? I do. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. So people say that Thomas Nast invented Santa Claus, and that Not is true. It's pretty close. There was St. Nick. Mm-hmm. There was Sinter Claus. There was all these, these conceptions of, of Santa Claus based around St. Nick. Thomas Nast was the one who associated St. Nick, who still today in Germany, he's honored. He has a day on December 6th where people give one another gifts, but right. it's not Christmas. Right. Thomas Nast took the gift-giving idea associated with St. Nick, mm-hmm. put it to Christmas for Harper's, and then added the elves as well. Ah. So the whole idea of Santa Claus coming and bringing gifts 
uh, was Thomas Nast. Wow. Yeah, in like 1862, I believe, for the cover of Harper's Weekly. Thank you, Thomas Nast. And then by 1881, he was fat and jolly, thanks to Thomas Nast as well. Well, how was Santa going to be? <laughs> Lean and mean? Yeah. <laughs> he was a little skinny, and it's off-putting to see a skinny Santa Claus. What, the earlier ones? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, you spilled the beans on that spoiler. Harper's Weekly was where uh, Nast worked for 24 years, uh, from 1862 to 1886. And that is where he uh, made his name, like, big time. He was influential. He was countrywide famous. I don't know about world famous. I don't know if a whole lot of people were world famous at the time. Yeah, he was definitely, like, a household name, I think. Yeah, he was a rock star. This is when uh, a political cartoon really meant something. And actually held sway in elections. Yeah. Not so today. Yeah, because, you know, so many people were illiterate, which is kind of unfortunate because Thomas Nast drew in a time where you could draw a bunch of stuff and be like, oh, this doesn't make any sense, and just put labels on them, apparently. (laughs) You can label absolutely everything, and it's like, oh, okay. This tree is... Sometimes he would come to your house and explain it to you as Uh, well, if you still didn't get it. Well, and I mentioned woodcut. These... uh, he did not draw these in pen and ink until later, which would end up being his undoing. We'll get to that. But he actually carved these things. And that's <laughs> no. how they printed these. These are carvings. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Especially when you look at the detail. It's uh, striking, Josh. I agree. <laughs> I didn't realize there were wood carvings until about 30 minutes ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So you're still reeling. Yeah. I'm, I'm a <laughs> little, news. I'm still queasy. I still have the taste of vomit in my mouth. All right. So... Politically speaking, uh, Nast was a Republican, but Republicans at the time aren't exactly what we might think of today. It was a shift no. over the years. Yeah. That's How many the, people know this? It's a big eye-opening thing. It's like learning in eighth grade that um, the United States like pretty much brought genocide down on Indians in, in <laughs> <Right>. America. <laughs> you know, like, learn, like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, right. yeah, there are cowboys and stuff, but what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Same thing with this. Like, uh-huh. that Republican and Democrat is fluid term. Well, really, it's like conservative and liberal are, are the two opposing forces at all times. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, actually. And at the time, I guess Republicans were very much socially liberal. Yeah. And he was on board with that and ended up having problems with his own party because of that. Yeah. Which influences cartoons. Yes. Can we call them cartoons? I think, yeah. Okay. Political cartoons, it's a it's an acceptable term. So, donkey, should we start there? Yeah. Uh, the donkey first came about in 1870 was the first time the donkey made its appearance. And that was in, uh, and I have these printed out too, that was uh, this one right here. The Copperhead, uh, Northern Democrats were called Copperhead Democrats. Yeah. They opposed the Civil War. And he thought they were racists. Well, that's what Sam calls them. Well, that's what Nass thought of them, though, right? Right, but I think that they, I think that that's uh, over. That's an overbroad description. I think yeah, the, the Copperhead Democrats were made up of like uh, they were the crux of the peace movement. Right. They also basically they were made up of people who said it's unconstitutional to force a country together if one part of it wants to secede. Right. There were a lot of different voices, but yes. They were very powerful, and Nass definitely opposed them for sure. And a copperhead is a snake, in case you didn't know that. So it's definitely a derogatory term. It's a deadly snake. It is a deadly snake that we have right here in Georgia. Uh, so in 1870, the uh, he showed the, the donkey kicking a dead lion. Uh, the donkey, and like you said, he would just literally label them. He would write words on the body of the animal <laughs> saying, this is what this is. Uh, no subtext. 
Uh, the donkey was the Copperhead Press, which was he was taking a jab at the the press, not necessarily the party. And then the lion was Edwin and Stanton, Lincoln's Secretary of War, who was dead. Yeah, and uh, dead in the photo. And it looks like there's a little eagle looking on, even. Yeah, he's from on high. He's like, what are you doing? But the eagle's not labeled. And I think that's the Capitol in the background. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, he he would just write on it, like on the side of the donkey. It says Copperhead Press. And it looks like, have you heard of, uh, I think his name is Vim Vanderwall or something like that? He cl- he came up with the cloaca machine. He's an artist from the Netherlands. Uh, he ha- has, like, this whole exhibit where he, like, tattoos pigs. Really? Yeah. And, like, like elaborate tattoos. Huh. And it looks a lot like this. Oh, really? Like the woodcut? Yeah. Or just that style? That, like, the donkey having writing on the side of it. Oh, okay. I gotcha. It's been graffitoed. <laughs> So that is um, that was the first appearance of the donkey. Uh, the next one was in 1874 when uh, Republican Ulysses S. Grant, Ulysses, was vying for a potential third term, which freaked a lot of people out. Right. Well, he freaked people out twice. Oh, did he try to do that twice? Well, they tried to get him to run for a third consecutive term in 1876, but he poo-pooed it. But then he went and traveled abroad and came back and said, I'm a better man. I think I could be president for a third time, third non-consecutive term. Right. In 1880. Right. Yeah. Which is why that that this third term panic, the 1874 cartoon, was when people were like, whoa, he can't, you can't have a three-term president, even though you could constitutionally. That's right. So if you look at this one, this one is like, this is crazy. This looks like a Grateful Dead album cover or something. <laughs> It's got a, a donkey in sheep's clothing label, labeled uh, Caesarism, obviously referencing Julius Caesar as some mad, power-hungry tyrant. Yeah. And then there's all sorts of other stuff going on, and, and we'll get to that because the elephant plays a part in this one as well. I like the giraffe a lot in that one. He's yeah, going kind of upward. It looks like he's wearing a vest. Yeah, he's wearing some sort of a suit. Yeah. Giraffe in a suit. And that was called Third Term Panic. But again, even though he was symbolizing the Democratic press mainly with the donkey, it sort of stuck as the Democratic Party, even though that wasn't his original intent. Is that right? Um, I I don't know. I I don't know if like he. I don't think he originally intended it, but I think over time he just came to see it as. I think it. Yeah, it popularly was picked up and kind of forced him to use it later on. Right. You know. Even though the Democrats still haven't. That's not their uh, right. their symbol officially. No. They've never adopted the brain jackass as their official party <laughs> symbol. I wonder why. <laughs> Although the Republicans have. They've adopted their symbol. That's true. But there, there's some stuff in that third-term panic thing um, that kind of pops up that was clearly important to Nast. Like inflation. There's like a plank he wrote inflation on. Yes. So apparently at the time there was a big struggle going on about abandoning the gold standard. Or printing um, as much silver as you wanted or issuing paper. Right. So you could basically cause inflation so people could pay off their debt, so they could buy stuff more cheaply, that kind of thing. And apparently NAST opposed that, the inflation, uh, because that's like a plank that's broken over this pit. Right. That the, the elephant, the Republican vote, I think, is what it is. The pit is, is about- chaos, right? Right. There's chaos because farmers can pay their bills kind of thing. Gotcha. So he was like, he was definitely a social liberal, but I get from this that he was also not a populist. Yeah. Like, I think he liked people in theory, but not in practice. Right. 
And then, you know, this is important because he was a guy who only drew what he believed in. Yeah. Which would also further prove to be his undoing later on. Yeah, but you got to take your hat off to somebody like that, you know? Well, he'd made his name. I guess he was like, do you know who I am? I'm the nasty man. <laughs> I'm not going to draw anything I don't believe in. Nice. Uh, so what? where are we here? There was another example, um, a presidential candidate grabbing a donkey labeled Democratic Party by the tail. Yeah. So and, that was Thomas F. Bayard. Yeah. And he was grabbing it by the tail. He was actually one of those guys who fought to repeal um, the issuance of paper money, legal tender that doesn't really mean anything rather than use gold. And so I guess NAST approved of him even though he's a Democrat. And that's this one right here, right? Yeah. And that's uh, he's he's trying to keep the donkey from fin- uh, falling into a pit, another pit labeled financial chaos. <laughs> it's a very popular uh, motif at the time, I guess. Yeah. And then in the background of this one, you do see the dead Republican Party elephant with, uh, is that Lincoln uh, hovering above him? Sadly. Probably. I think Nast kind of had a thing for for Lincoln. Had a thing for him? Yeah. <laughs> it's strictly in an idle way, with an O. So that is the donkey. Does that fairly summarize how it got started? Yeah. Like you said, I mean, he started just kind of using it and associating it with the Copperhead Democrats, Democratic press, and then ultimately... People just said, well, I can't read, but I see that you're making fun of the Democrats, and that's a donkey, so the Democrats are donkeys. <laughs> right. And Ness said, okay, we'll go with that. Oh, and also, by the way, the Wizard of Oz apparently is a popular allegory for um, politics at the time, including that whole gold standard abandonment. Was it meant to be? Yeah. Or was it? It was? Yeah. Frank Baum, who, who wrote it, was a political writer. Um, for many, many years yeah. before he wrote it. And the gold, the yellow brick road is the gold standard. Gotcha. And then Dorothy's shoes originally were silver, not ruby. Uh-huh. And so silver and gold was a, a call out to this, um, free silver right. idea of printing 16 silver coins to every gold coin printed to make money cheaper and abundant. Right. So. Interesting. Yeah. A lot yeah. of, lot of subtle stuff going on in yeah. the late 19th century, <laughs> you know? Well, they're way more obvious now, I guess. Because they can be. Yeah, at least we don't label our political cartoons as much. It's still a tradition that's upheld. It is. So you just don't see words all over the place. I don't read a lot of political cartoons anymore, do you? I, I just don't run into them very often, but I right. almost always enjoy them when I do. You Especially do? that Mike Luckovich guy. He is good. He's a local boy, too. Yeah, Luckovich is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a big Family Circus fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's rarely political. You know, when Jeffy, like, tracks mud through the, through the house and... Yeah. It's like, oh, Jeffy. Have you seen the altered version of those? <laughs> There's altered versions of everything. Isn't it, these there? are pretty funny. They're really, really dirty, but they're funny. Oh. Uh, dirty's not the right word. They're just like... Um, filthy? F- yeah, they're filthy. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> All right, so moving on to the elephant. Uh, this was Nast's party, uh, the Republicans at the time. So obviously his cartoons about the elephant are going to be more uh, positive, I guess. Or sad, yeah, true. Like the dying elephant. Yeah. I think that he probably intuitively knew that elephants mourn their dead, which makes you sad when you think about elephants, which is why he chose the elephant. I wonder if he knew that. I don't think he did. That's appropriate, though. Uh, before he actually ever, uh, it keeps saying pinned in here, but carved his first elephant, um, it was used twice before, once in 1864. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a Lincoln campaign uh, literature piece, and then in 1872 by Harper's, but it wasn't until 1874 that he used it. So I can imagine the Lincoln use of it was very 
intended to be derogatory. Yeah, probably like you're so. all jackasses. Right. So that's uh, third term panic. The one we already talked about was the first um, Republican elephant that he had carved. Right. Okay. But the first appearance of the Republican elephant and the Democratic um, donkey together as the as those two as the representative of the whole party was the Stranger Things Have Happened cartoon where he's got the donkey by the tail. Oh, okay. As far as I know, it's the first That's one. what that one was called? Yeah. Stranger Things Have Happened. <laughs> uh, in 1876, there was one called The Political Situation, pretty straight up. Uncle Sam is confused. Uh, he is labeled the vote of the people, and there's a two-headed elephant choosing to decide which road, Democratic road or the Republican road, to go down. That one's fairly self-explanatory, I think. It is, but it's also kind of confusing because... Uncle Sam's confused. Yeah. So what is he saying? The Republicans can go one of two ways at the time? Well, no, because they're it's two-headed, so I would imagine it was it's more representative of the two-party system. I think Nass was, was pretty drunk that day. <laughs> I think so. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, there was the, oh, my favorite. I haven't seen it yet. Did you print it out, the one with the tombstone? No, I couldn't find that one. I thought this was very, um, sweet. But Nast, apparently when Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, ran for president, he won the 1876 election. Okay. That, um, that Grant didn't go for the third term for, Right. And Hayes apparently said that he would only run once. And I guess he wasn't a very well-liked guy because he was one of those presidents who won through the electoral vote but lost the popular vote and apparently lost the popular vote pretty bad. And so his whole presidency was in no way, shape, or form a mandate. It was a, it was uh, very representative of the fact that this country, our country, mm. was still very much torn apart yeah. from the Civil War. And so Nast created this cartoon where this um, elephant that Sam describes as bruised and battered is crouching down at a tombstone of the Democratic Party, which I thought was pretty cool because it's yeah. like uh, he had the sense that you, there was still, no matter how um, acrimonious things got, that w- the, these two parties were still American parties. Right. That there's still a whole wild world out there for us to hate. Why are we hating each other? <laughs> yeah, true. You know? Yeah, that is sort of a nice sentiment. Yeah. But I don't want to characterize Nast as uh, an isolationist or even a nativist. Like, he had one of his Uncle Sam paintings, or I'm sorry, carvings, was um, Uncle Sam and Columbia, right, Liberty, uh-huh. uh, hosting a Thanksgiving dinner with all the peoples of the world, which included some Chinese people, uh-huh. some um, black people, uh-huh. some Native American Indians. Right. Uh, and uh, a host of others. But not the Irish. I don't think the Irish were present. <laughs> but it was like a ter- world or suffrage for all, you know, equality for everyone in the world. Come one, come all. You're all invited. Right. It was pretty cool. He was definitely not a, a bigot as far as I could tell in no, any way. it doesn't way. seem like it. Uh, so, you know, what Sam points out is it, and it's true, it's kind of striking that 150 years after this or so, that these are still the symbols. I mean, the Republicans officially adopted the elephant, but he points out that it, a lot of that was due to just how influential and popular Nast was at the time. Yeah. It just became part of the national fabric Yeah, because of him. There were some good quotes about him after, uh, well, while he was working even, apparently um, Abraham Lincoln called Nast as, quote, best recruiting sergeant 
during the 1864 re-election. And this is while he was traveling around the country heckling, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Stephen, it's not Stephen Decatur. What was that guy's name? I don't know. We'll go with Ambrose Bierce, even though it's not right. <laughs> I can't believe we don't remember that guy's name. I know. My head is just bulging. Huh. Uh, Mark Twain said that Nast won a prodigious victory for Grant. I mean, for civilization and progress. That's Mark Twain for you. What a guy. He can turn a phrase. So he, um, you said that he kind of gave up his uh, career in a lot of ways by being stubborn as a donkey. Yeah. Um, especially, he was apparently in very good with Fletcher Harper, who founded Harper's Weekly. Um, do you read Harper's? No, it's monthly. No. It's, it, Lewis Lapham just left, and I got into it right before he left, uh-huh. and I got sucked into Harper's, and then he left, and now I'm like, it's not as good. It's just not as good. Why? Why did this happen to me? <laughs> Why does everything bad happen to me? But it's, it's still, it's very good. And it's been around since the mid-19th century, which yeah. is pretty impressive for a magazine. Oh, yeah. It yeah. endured. Endures. But Junior came aboard and um, didn't, yeah. didn't really side with um, Thomas Nast, right? Yeah. I mean, Nast had a lot of freedom under, under Fletcher Harper, but uh, Joe Jr. kind of <laughs> tightened down the ranks and was like, hey, man, don't be so square. People want to be entertained. So there was a bit of a shift. In uh, in in the the way American public wanted to you know what they wanted to read in magazines yeah and then uh, people wanted to not be bothered anymore yeah they were sick of it so the other death knell though was was they went to photochemical reproduction and they didn't do the woodblock cuttings anymore and apparently woodblock even though I mean it looks to me like incredibly detailed yeah it gives you a lot of leeway to make mistakes that you don't get with pen and ink and paper right. So his shortcomings all of a sudden stood out. They were like, "This guy kind of sucks." <laughs> Which this is, is just who not gave true. Santa Claus, right? Yeah. So he he ended up like um, penniless, as you as you love the term. Um, I do. Yeah, don't you love the term penniless? I was listening to a, a, an old podcast, an Did old I say episode. I love that? You're like, I hate that term. It's so no one doesn't have a oh, penny. Oh yeah, yeah, I think yeah. It was the Niagara Falls one. Jeez, I need to lighten up back then, huh? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he was very much broke, um, and he tried to he tried to open his own uh, paper, Nast Weekly, which lasted six months. Uh, and luckily, he had a friend in Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah, and he he appointed him to Council General to Ecuador. And NASA, I guess, was like, all right, I guess I'll go to Ecuador. That's, He's like, is there money there? Because I'm penniless. <laughs> yeah, that's better than doing nothing. And it actually was not better than doing nothing because he got yellow fever there and died six months later. Yeah. Dun, dun. So that's a pretty weird end to that guy, if you ask me. But yeah, he I didn't was, expect yellow fever. He was 62, and at the turn of the last, last century, the last, last turn of the century, he... Uh, 62 is not bad. That's a pretty good run. For back then. Especially being a household name. Once your celebrity's over, you might as well, I mean, you're dead anyway. (laughs) It just hasn't, you haven't actually died yet, but you might as well be, you know? Jeez, oh boy. So there you go. The donkey and the the elephant. If If you feel like we've explained this, if you now understand it and gotten to the bottom of it, you are not paying attention. 
Because it's still as convoluted as ever. No, it's not. It's all, it's all from NAS. Well, don't you wish, though, that there was like some sort of like, oh, here's the reason why yeah. he chose the donkey. And, oh, of course he would choose a, an elephant. It's totally intuitive. No, it's the ramblings of a madman <laughs> who used to carve stuff into wood blocks and Fletcher Harper published it <laughs> right. for the consumption of everybody else. But now you know. Knowing is half the battle. That's right. So uh, if you want to learn more about Thomas Nast, if you want to read one of the extraordinarily rare Samuel Abramson uh, articles on the site, you can type in the words, Why are a donkey and an elephant the symbols of the Democratic and Republican parties? Question mark. You could probably also just type in donkey and elephant and it will bring it up. Sure. So uh, I think I said that you should type it into the search bar. If I didn't, you should type it into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said that, it's time now for listener mail. Uh, Josh, bison feedback from Canada. Burlington, Ontario, specifically. Uh, guys, your recent bison podcast put me uh, in mind one of the coolest experiences of my life. When I lived out in Alberta, I'd often go hiking in Elk Island National Park. I was halfway around one of the park's longer trails one day when I looked down saw a fresh buffalo chip. You know what that is. Scat. Uh, as I pondered what this meant, I heard a snort, and about 10 to 15 meters in front of me, which is a length that I don't understand. It's uh, 30 to 45 feet approximately. Okay. It was a it's bison. Like 10 to 15 yards. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get yards. Uh, 10 to 15 meters in front of me was a bison. I froze. I was alone, hadn't seen another soul on the trail, and I knew roughly eight kilometers, whatever that is. I have no idea. <laughs> from the road. I'm sorry, from the trailhead in either direction, and I knew uh, this animal decided to charge. I was as good as dead. Uh, we stared each other down for a few minutes. I don't know what was going through its mind, but I was weighing my options. If I turned around and it decided to charge, I might not hear it coming and wouldn't be able to take evasive action. If I went forward, I might provoke it and be in deep trouble. I knew I couldn't stay there all day. So I decided to take a single step towards it to gauge its response. Good move, I think. Uh, I moved towards it. It gave a snort and turned its head away from me and ran into the woods to my right. Very cool, I thought. No sooner had I thought that than from my left came a thundering herd of bison stampeding across the trail. There must have been 20 to 30 of them running in front of me. Awesome. Following their lookout. That was a scout, I guess. A scat scout. Into the forest. I stood there utterly awestruck for several minutes before I decided to move forward to where they had just been. For the next 15 minutes Buffalo or so. Buffalo chips everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, for the next 15 minutes or so, I kept looking over my shoulder just in case. They were hiding behind a tree, ready to pounce on me like a giant cartoon kangaroo. Interesting imagination. So uh, they didn't pounce. He made it back safe. And he just says, if anyone finds himself in this situation, probably won't happen. Don't do what I did. I got lucky. These are wild animals, not petting zoo bison. I could have easily been trampled and left to die. So that is Gordon C. from Burlington, Ontario, Canada, weird, Earth. Weird uh, weird ending there. He yeah. doesn't give any any suggestions of what to do. No, but he did say that it was the most amazing experience of his life, seeing the thundering herd of bison right in front of him. I will bet. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I want to add something from the Bison Podcast. We got a tweet from some guy recently saying, Hey, I was really disappointed you guys used the word Indian instead of Native American. 
And I was like, oh yeah, Mr. Smart Guy? Well, how about I provide you with a link to an article that has a poll that shows that a clear 49% of all Indian, Native American Indians, um, prefer the term Indian over Native American. So 51% prefer? No, no, no. 37% prefer Native uh, American. And then like 16% or whatever the rest is prefer something else. Don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> all right. So the the not a majority but very close to it prefer Indian over Native American. So chew on that, pal. We were doing something right for once. And he goes, <laughs> "No, I'm talking about people from India are offended by that, like me." And I was oh. like, "Oh, your Twitter handle is Sanjay something." And I haven't responded yet, but I hadn't considered that. Yeah, like, I knew we were doing right by Indians of North sure. America. But I hadn't considered how Indians of India, also known as Asian Indians, felt about it. And I'm curious to know. So I would like to hear from everybody. Yeah. Uh, if uh, From Asian Indians and North American Indians. And I'm sure I'm just, like, offending everybody in any way, shape, or form right now. But let's figure out how to establish yeah. this. I want to know. How I agree. Do, how do I never consider that either. So. And even if you're not Asian uh, Indian mm-hmm. or American Indian. Yes. Uh, we want to hear from you if you have a good suggestion, too, about how to end this conundrum. Uh, you can tweet to us, like Sanjay did, at SYSK Podcast. Um, you can uh, go to Facebook, also known as the, the 50,000, uh, at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And you can send us a plain old-fashioned email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?